in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11 and from uh, verse 32, I want to point out two groups. And there are two groups there. The first group, I'm going to say, have faith that does not fear defeat. Okay? The first group have faith that don't fear defeat. The second group have faith that doesn't fear suffering and death. Those are the two groups I want to look at. Let me start by giving some, some statistics. Open Doors. Open Doors is an international organization, and they work with persecuted Christians right across the world. They say this, there's an estimated 30, 360 million Christians around the world who experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Okay? One in seven Christians face high levels of persecution and discrimination. In 2021, 5,898 5, Christians were killed because of their faith. That was quite a thought. In 2021, Open Doors estimate, from what they can work out and what they can gather, there are some places that you just don't get figures. You know, Afghanistan and, and North Korea, you just don't get figures. But from the figures they have, in 2021, they estimate 5,898 Christians were killed because of their faith. 4,650 of them were killed not far from where I was born in Nigeria. That's a frightening fact. Not far, I was born in Plateau State in the middle of Nigeria and there's conflict right through Nigeria but especially into the north. 4,650 Nigerians were killed. It's the most dangerous place to be a Christian on this planet. Not, not the most populous Christian persecution. There, are, you've got to look at North Korea for that, don't you? Or places like that. But but for people dying, Nigeria is the most dangerous place to be a Christian. In 2021, 5,100 churches were damaged, destroyed, or forcibly closed. Last week, in the Democratic Democrat Democratic, I'm struggling to get out of democracy, <laughs> Republic of Congo, uh, a church was burned down. And a number of Christians were killed in that church. Some places in this world, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. There's little doubt that the Christians are not, the little doubt the Christians are the most persecuted people group, faith group on this earth. Its numbers have been rising for 30 years. The church is increasingly a refugee church. It's, a, it's made up of refugees increasingly. Now Hebrews chapter 11 was written in the first century and the church there was facing similar kind of persecution. First of all, persecution came from within uh, Jerusalem and, and uh, Israel itself and then later on persecution came from the Roman Empire. 
uh, and they were facing persecution. So when the writer to the Hebrews is writing to the early church, he's writing to a church that is facing great persecution. Uh, We live in a broken world, just like they did. Now, as we seek to live in this world, we should seek to live a faithful life. But it feels like it's getting harder and harder. Well, it certainly does for me. And I don't think it's to do with my age, but it might be. But I don't think it is. I think it's harder and harder to live as a Christian. Suffering is going to be a, not a sign that God is angry with us, but a sign that we're faithful. And that's something that we're going to have to face if things do not change, if things continue on their present path. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Now, fear comes in, okay? And we are all fearful. And fear is one of those things that debilitates. And so when the writer is writing to the Hebrews, he reminds them of people who did not live by fear, but by faith. They lived trusting God. And so he writes, really, a history of the up-to-then Christian church, including the Old Testament church that was looking forward to Christ. Okay, so the Old Testament looked forward to Christ, they were the Christian church, yeah? And the New Testament looks back to Christ, and they're the Christian church. So the Christian church looking forward and looking back. And he talks about the very early believers, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, about Noah, about Moses, And then he kind of, he says, if I keep doing this, the book's going to be huge. It's it's just going to be too big. I do not have time, he then says. I just, what more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness became strength, who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies, whose women received back their dead raised to life. First then, faith that doesn't fear being defeated. These people went out bravely, taking on responsibility. One of... of our dangers that we have natural characteristics and uh, my natural characteristic is to say what could go wrong okay that's always the the first thing is what we're going to do my second thought is always what could go wrong that that's that's my nature but it leads to fearfulness It, it leads to a fearful attitude a danger of a fearful attitude But these people, they didn't fear defeat. He he talks about them. He says their names. He says Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Then he describes them. He says, first of all, they administered justice. They were brave enough to stand up and do what's right. They were brave enough to stand up and put in place and maintain justice they 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 didn't worry about other things they said this is what's right this is what we've got to do 
And they stepped forward in faith to do what's right. We can think of someone like Joseph. Imagine Joseph just for a moment. Okay? Joseph, favored son of his father, the golden boy, hated by his brothers, sold to Egypt, arrives in Egypt and is bought by, uh, by Potiphar, a very, a, a very important, powerful man. And he starts to work for him. He's elevated through, through the family and through the, the, the family's uh, servants till he's running the family, family business. Potiphar can go off and do his thing. He doesn't need to worry about anything. He just leaves it with Joseph. Joseph saves hands. Away he goes. And then, and then the accusations from Potiphar's wife. And then the prison. And then the years in prison. Years and years in prison. Now in prison, he's still faithful. And he goes up through the ranks. And then two men come in. And they're, they're out of favor with Pharaoh. And uh, they have dreams. And he says to one, well, you're going to be restored to your position as the, as the uh, wine bearer. You're going to be restored to that and to the baker. You're going to die and to wine. Don't forget me. Years pass. It's forgotten. And then the king has a dream. They drag him into the court. No one else can explain it. Joseph, can you explain it? No, but God can. Let me tell you what your dream is. Seven years of famine, seven years of good. You need to find someone who can manage this remarkable civilization. You need to find someone who can, who can manage Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. You're the man. You're the man, Joseph. If I was Joseph, I'd say, I think, you, I think you, we need to find someone else. But Joseph said, yes, I'll do it. He wasn't afraid to fail. God had put him in this place. He understood that. This was God's doing. He understood that. This was an opportunity that God had given. He understood that. He could make a huge difference. He could make a huge difference for Egypt, for the glory of God's name. And he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Amazing. Amazing boldness. Amazing faith. Think of King David. God comes to him. His family don't like him. His family are having a party. He's not invited. He's out in the field. They don't even bother with him. The prophet who's there and is the reason for the party says, is this everyone? Is this your whole family? They go, oh, well, there's David. He's with the sheep, you know, with his own like. Oh, I want to see David. David comes. You're going to be king. Who in their right mind wants to be king? I mean, even today, nobody in their right mind wants to be king. Surely. You're going to be king. Okay. Okay. I'll be king. I'll lead. I'll do whatever is required to serve this nation under God. Incredible bravery. Incredible bravery. And, and then the book of Judges. Well, there's all kinds of all kinds of waifs and strays in Judges that get lifted up from places of 
unimportance to places of great prominence. And then people like Daniel, they're not afraid to take responsibility. You know? When God gives us opportunity, and the opportunity comes with responsibility, are we brave? Are we prepared to say, God has put me in this place for this moment, this time in history, and I'll take the opportunities I have? Or do we say, oh Lord, find someone else? And then they gained what was promised. These people lived by faith and they gained what was promised. And so God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. And Caleb says, now remember Caleb's well into his 80s. Give me the high mountains. The man's completely out of his tree. No, that's the land for me. The high mountains. Give me the high mountains. This 80-year-old is going to fight in the high mountains. That's the land for me. That's what God's given my family. I'm going. Who's coming with me? I'll help you first, but then I'm going. I'm going to take what God has promised. The Caleb and the Joshua, the Nehemiah and the King David, they all, God has promised us this land. God has promised it. Let's, let's do it. Let's obey him. Let's go and do whatever is required. Let's prove God in this. They gained what was promised. Quite incredible. Remarkable people. Lived by faith. I love Caleb. He's, he's one of my favorite characters. I just, you know, there's Moses and he got going at 80. And you think that was remarkable. And then, and then when he died, his, his, his understudy is 80. Imagine being an understudy, 80. And God says, it's your turn to take on the 80 years old. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the promised land. Caleb and Joshua, incredible people. And then there were those who shut the mouths of lion. Well, that's, that's obviously Daniel, isn't it? And there's Daniel and, and he says, well, whatever is required, Lord, I'm going to do it. And God says, well, I'm going to take you away. I'm going to stick you in, a, in, in the new most influential nation on earth, the new superpower. And I'm going to put you right in the center of it. Uh, and, and you're going to be one of the most important people in the center of this new empire. And Daniel says, okay, yes. And I'll do it all my adult life. I'll do it all my adult life. I think he sees through three kings. And he's still there, still praying, still trusting God. And they say, if you, still, if you keep praying and trusting God, we'll throw you to the lions. He says, well, I'd prefer to be with the lions than not trusting God. I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to be faithful. And God shut the mouths of lions. Maybe you could think also of, of uh, Samson. Samson, who, who again trusted God and did remarkable things. And shut the mouths of lions. And then quenched the fury of the flames. There's all kinds of persecution. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There we are in Babylon. And they said, bow down to this golden idol. And they went, no, only God will have my knee. I'm not bowing to this thing. Only God. I will chuck you in the fire. 
better to be in the fire than bow to man and quench the flames and then escape the edge of the sword. Well, there's so many of them, isn't there? David chased by Saul, Elijah chased by Jezebel and others. And they lived by faith. They continued to trust as David was being pursued by Saul up and down the mountains and in the valleys and through the caves. He kept trusting God. He kept trusting God. And then their weakness was turned to strength as they trusted God. Gideon, he was a weak man. There he is, threshing in a, in a hole in the ground, wheat, so that no one could see it. And an angel says, get out this hole and go fight a battle. Well, he had no intention of fighting a battle. He's hiding in a hole. He doesn't want to be seen by the enemy. And God says, it's time to get up. Time to walk out and face the enemy. And in weakness was turned to strength. King David, a young shepherd, became a king. Samson, weak. Weak at one time because of his own sinfulness. And he says, Lord, one last time, give me strength. One last time. If, if all I have is one day, give me strength. For today. And more people died in his death than he killed in his life. And the enemy was routed. Weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle. Again, King Gideon, Hezekiah, Joshua. You can think of all these people, faithful. They weren't afraid to do what God told them to do. They weren't afraid. And then Women received back their dead. Faith in hopelessness. Think of the Shulamite lady and her son. And Elijah comes and the boy dies and he restores the child. And they, they trust God. So well, where was her faith? Well, she didn't have enough food to feed herself. Never mind feed anyone else. But she fed someone else. Prepared to go starving herself. That's faith, isn't it? God provided for years, not just for her, but for her guest as well. And then God gave her back her dead son. And then who else received back their dead? I was thinking about this. Jacob. Jacob thought that his son Joseph was dead. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, convinced Jacob Joseph was dead because they brought his clothes ripped to pieces and covered in blood. And they said, he's dead. And Jacob found out that he was very alive as he trusted God where he was. As they put their faith in God in these times of often great difficulty, God blessed them. As they obeyed him, as they followed God, he blessed them. That doesn't, it, now, that doesn't mean that we can go and do whatever we want and expect God to bless us. That's foolishness, isn't it? You know, there's lots of things that, that, that lots of stupid ideas come into my head. I, I, my head's full of stupid ideas. But you've got to take those ideas and you've got to bring them to God and say, is this my idea or is this your idea? Is this my desire or is this your desire? Is this my way or is this your way? Confirm 
that what I want to do is what you want me to do. God can do that. If God can take a nation of a few million and keep them in the desert for 40 years, he can certainly lead you, can't he? You know, there's only one of you. There was a few million of them. You can go to him and say, is this right, Lord? Is this where you want me to be? Is this the work you want me to do? Is this the battle you want me to fight? And when he says yes, you do it and be brave. Now for some, for some it'll be something very simple. You know, for some it'll be something very, very simple. It'll be something very simple like committing to look after your aging neighbor who's unwell. Sometimes just looking after one person can be deeply overwhelming, can't it? You know, but just to say, yeah, I'll, I'll take responsibility. I'll look after that person. Sometimes it's, it's to look after a church. Sometimes it's to be a leader in a church, a deacon in a church. We feel deeply inadequate for the job, but we believe that God calls us. He set us aside for the work, and so we do it. For some, God will put us in positions of, of national importance and say, I want you to serve me here, in this place. I want you to stand for me in this place. We need to pray for our MPs who are Christians. Pray for them in that hostile environment. We need to pray for our, M for our judges who are Christians, for our, our solicitors who are Christians. We need to pray for them in places of great importance. We need to pray for them that God would uphold them. But they need to trust God as well. And we need to encourage them in it where we can. Faith that doesn't fear defeat. It's quite a big one, isn't it? Because by nature, many of us don't start something because we've already imagined that it's failed before we've even begun. But that's not what God wants us to do. And then there's faith that doesn't fear suffering and death. Hebrews 11, verse 35 to 38. And these people weren't afraid to die, which is quite remarkable. Sometimes we're afraid to live, and sometimes we're afraid to die. What strange creatures we are. And then he says about them, and some faced. Others were tortured refusing to be released so that they could gain a better inheritance. Some faced jeers and flogging, chains, imprisonment. Some were put to death by stoning, by some were sawn in two. Some were killed by the sword. Some were so thrown out of society that they, all they could wear was the animal skins. From the animals they killed to eat, sheepskins, goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, but none received what had been promised. So there's another group, and they are not afraid to die. Incredible. They're not afraid to die. They're prepared to be tortured rather than deny Jesus Christ. That's, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? You think of someone like Jeremiah and Samson, someone like Paul, you know, he was, prepared, he was prepared to suffer rather than deny Christ. 
and if you just need just need to look at the modern history books or uh, what's the Fox's Book of Martyrs that was written a few hundred years ago and give us an account of Christians who would not turn their back on Jesus Christ even though it meant death even though they were tortured and in the Bible people who went through all kinds of, of persecution and torture and they they refused they refused to turn their back on Jesus Christ and then there are others they refused to be released they said I'm not going to compromise like Joseph he says I'm not going to compromise with Potiphar's wife well you're going to go to jail then well let jail be then and Paul he says I'm not going to compromise and they say well we're gonna we're gonna flog you well you have to flog me then I'm not going to compromise. They said, we're going to take you outside the city and we're going to stone you, Paul. And they stoned him and thought he was dead. He wouldn't compromise. They refused to compromise. They refused to be released. And then there are others who faced jeering and flogging and chains and they were humiliated because they followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They followed the living God. But they refused to let God down. They refused to deny him. Whatever this world can throw at me, well, let them do it. But I'm not denying my Savior. Quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. When my mum and dad were, uh, were missionaries in Nigeria in the 1960s and 70s, uh, northern Nigeria was quite a hostile place. It's, it's mainly Muslim. It was Muslim dominated the north. And then the south is more... Uh, Christian dominated that, that it's, it's, that's of course a rough description where we lived was in the middle and uh, they couldn't get Christians from the middle to go north but when the persecution started they were overwhelmed with Christians wanting to go north because they saw what sin did to people's lives and they saw that Jesus Christ was the answer and when they went north they found people who hated Islam and wanted an alternative it's been it's, it's one of the strange things about persecution when persecution happens it makes things so clear it makes things so clear the same is true in China a lot of Chinese pastors will tell you don't pray that I be released from prison pray that in prison I be faithful I'm seeing more converts while I'm in prison than I ever saw when I was out of prison it's remarkable quite remarkable and so they faced stoning they were sawn in two I, I don't know a Christian recorded in the Bible who was sawn in two but certainly the writer to the Hebrews has someone in mind they were cut in half with a sword where you think of John the Baptist Stephen who was stoned they went about destitute outcasts the Apostle John was banished to Patmos and others lived as outcasts in society Old Testament Elijah Elisha lived as outcasts John the Baptist they wandered in deserts and mountains in holes in the ground they faced all kinds of persecution but they weren't afraid and they weren't afraid to die you afraid to die I don't like the thought of it I don't like the thought of the process of it 
But are you afraid to die? These believers weren't. Their faith was very costly. And they were prepared to take it right to the very end, even if it meant martyrdom. The history of the church is built on the blood of the martyrs, we're told. And that, that's quite a reality as you read the church history. Jesus Christ, our Savior himself. Well, all these could be said of him, couldn't they? Flogging, chains, refusing to be released, tortured. He wasn't stoned or sawn in two. He was nailed to a cross. There were times when he had to get away and get up into the mountains and hills to get away from the people who wanted to pursue him. And in the end, he wasn't afraid to die. He didn't like the thought of it, remember. You know, on the night he was about to be arrested, he's in the garden and he says to his father in prayer, in a very earnest prayer, and his, he was sweating and his heart was racing so much that his, his blood was pouring out of him. It's not a good place to be. And he says, if this cup, he knew what was before him, if this cup be taken from me, Lord, take it from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He didn't like the thought of the process. He didn't like the thought of what was there. But if this is what it cost to be faithful, to glory his father, and to save his people, that's what he would do. And that's what he did. Exceptional. What a remarkable example for us to follow. My last point, how on earth can they do it? How could they do it? Well, we're told, this is said of those who lived without fearing defeat and without fearing death. This is what is said of them. All these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God has planned something better for us. That's you and me and them. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. The writer draws together the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he draws us all together and he says, How can you live a life that doesn't fear defeat and doesn't fear death? And the answer is very simple. Look forward to what is to come. Look forward to what is to come. This world is just passing. This life is momentary. The joys and troubles of this life, while vitally important, they are important. And the decisions you make and the things you do in this life are important. They have eternal consequences. But there is eternity. I was reading this week a book by one of my favorite one of my favorite writers, a, a Brit, British man who lives in America. He's called Os Guinness. He's a man now in his 80s. He's been writing um, very good books for 60-odd for years. And he was describing, and he was saying, the danger of us living today is that we live like our society around us. And he describes, he uses someone else's description, but I'm quoting him. He says... Our culture can, are, are living in a box. They can only see, taste, touch, hear, smell, 
And that's the world to them. You know? This world is only what I can taste, touch, smell, hear, experience, enjoy. That's my little world. And Osgunis says it's like living in a box. But if you're a Christian, you have windows in your box. And you can look out them and appreciate that there's a God and that there's a heaven and that there's a power at work beyond this world. That's what these people understood. These people understood that this world is more than what I can taste, touch, see, smell, and do. There is a heaven. There is a glory. There's a better life. As you go through Hebrews, let me quote what, let me s- s- tell you what it says. There's a better life to come. That's great, isn't it? An eternal life. There's a better country, God's country. Hard to believe, trying to convince Welsh people of that, but there is a better country, and it's God's country. There's a better city, a heavenly one, prepared by God for us. There's a better resurrection yet to come, and where we will rise, freed from all the sorrows and tears and pains and limitations of this life. There's a better world. There's a better plan. There's a better ending. And in that ending, those who've gone before and us and those who follow us, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, will live with him forever and ever and ever. Now, when you understand that, you can be brave, can't you? Because God is in control. And he's doing something remarkable. And while we may struggle with life in this world, God is doing something remarkable. John Piper comments on this, an American preacher. He says, God is better than what life can give you now. Life can give you a lot now. Yeah? Yeah? We'll admit that. And life can give you a a lot now. But God is better. So don't be afraid to die. God is better than what what death can take from you later. God is better than what death can take from you. One day you'll have to leave this world behind. But if you've got God, you've got better. Something better yet to come. And so these people, in doing remarkable things and taking on incredible responsibility and sometimes ordinary responsibility, you think of the lady with the oil, she lived as much by faith as Elijah did. You know, just a slightly different, but they both lived by faith. They both trusted God. They both looked for a better world yet to come. And the people who died, they knew that they weren't leaving the best. The best was yet to come. And so they weren't prepared to deny Jesus Christ to have a bit of a crumb now when there's a banquet waiting. 
And so what about us? Are we prepared not to be afraid to fail? And not be afraid to die? Do we have that heavenly perspective? I pray that we do. Jesus Christ, it says, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set, he knew what was coming. Because he knew what was coming, for the joy that was set before him, he endured all kinds of hardship and death, even death on a cross. He had that heavenly perspective. I pray that you do, and that that might be part of how you live in this broken world amongst people who live in a box with no windows. We are very different people.